in the next few weeks, well, here's what's going to happen. We have, uh, we have Mother's Day, we have Father's Day, and we have uh, Memorial Day. So trying to get a series done right now gets a little crazy. So um, I'm going to try to do a series on, on Christian growth. This is my guy. I got this years ago when I was a youth pastor at a county, at a, at a, I don't know, we went to some fair thing or whatever else, and I won it, and it's always been in my office, and so any place I go, I take Kermit with me, and uh, teenagers loved him, and I keep him in my office here so that a lot of times kids will go in and play with him, so he has a lot of history with me, and we go back a very, very long way, but uh, he's going to be my helper today. He's going to help me illustrate uh, this principle, but... What I want to do today is, we'll do the holiday thing, but in between, I want, I want to talk about Christian growth. I want to talk about how we grow as a Christian. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to, we're going to look at different things. Uh, different groups have focused on this over the years. And so this morning, um, we're going to be looking at um, some stuff from Campus Crusade. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Campus Crusade was founded by a guy by the name of Bill Bright. Um, Bill Bright, 1951, I think it was, 19, uh, 19, yeah, 1951, University of California. He was concerned about reaching college kids for Christ. So he started out with something. He used a thing called the four spiritual laws. Some of you have seen it. And so they started reaching college kids, and then as that grew, then they, they came into another problem, and the problem was discipling college kids. So they developed a whole bunch of materials to not only reach college kids, but then to disciple college kids. Then they started having a bunch of rallies. A guy by the name of Josh McDowell started speaking for him. And Josh McDowell started doing some things on college campuses and talking to people about Christ. And then that snowballed. And so Josh McDowell kind of went out and started his own ministry thing and uh, got a number of great, great books that are out there. What happened was the organization continued to grow and grow and grow. And they ended up with a fairly large staff. So what they did was um, their staff was a lot of young people who had, been, who had gotten married. So it's a lot of young couples. So what they did was they put together some materials to help these young couples in their marriages. That snowballed, and then people started saying, hey, look, how about doing that outside of your staff? And so a group that we actually encourage people to, Family Life Ministries started that way. So that became Family Life Ministries. And so Family Life Ministries kind of um, is side-shooted off of that, uh, and they're still part of that, but they became kind of an entity to themselves. Um, 1979, they did a thing called the Jesus Film Project, uh, which their goal was to take the life of Jesus and put it in as many languages as they could. Back then, that was before DVRs and, uh, and um, VCRs and, and, and all that, and they would take rolls of film, big reels of film, and show them to people and reach people for Christ, tell them the story of Jesus. So the, the organization has been involved a lot of reaching people and discipling people. Uh, about uh, two years, three years ago now, 2011, they changed their name. Uh, they're no longer known as Campus Crusade for Christ. You will see the term crew, C-R-U, because what was happening is the campus idea is how they started, but it's morphed into so many other things over the years that they wanted to give it kind of a broader perspective in what they were really doing. So that's a little bit of the history. The reason I say that is the thing that we're going to look at this morning is part of their 
discipleship materials. And so I'm going to try to help you understand Christian growth uh, kind of from, from, from where they're coming from. So basically, um, okay, guys, you're going to have to follow along with me on this because I'm going to jump back and forth, okay? So we're going to go to the first slide deal. Um, this is, nope, the, other, this, the pictures below it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, I'll say pictures, verse, pictures, verse. They're all in order, but we go jump back and forth. Actually, you know that sheet that I have? Yeah, that I give you guys? Yeah, that nobody ever looks at? Yeah, let's look at that one. Uh, really, they don't need to look at it because it's all there, but this time it'll be a little different. So uh, this is how they laid out Christian growth in a nutshell. Okay, And they said there's God and then there's man. And man in obedience, what happens is through prayer and Bible study, that relationship, that growth to God is developed. We, we don't call that salvation. We call that Christian growth. So Christian growth is through prayer and Bible study. And then as God speaks to your heart, that goes out two ways. One way towards fellowship with other believers and one way towards witnessing to a lost world. So their concept of Christian growth basically is summed up kind of in this chart. All right. And we'll pick little pieces apart in the days ahead on, on, on sections of this. But notice what the key is right there in the middle of it. You see it? You see the little word that begins with O? Obedience. Obedience. That is essential. You've got to understand that. If you're going to understand Christian growth, you have to understand this issue of obedience. Um, and what Bill Bright, what, what Campus Crusade came up with was this idea that they believe that Christianity, or, or that, that, that the world is seen in, everybody is, falls into one of three categories, right? And so this morning, and, I want, and what I would suggest to you is, this morning, everyone sitting here is in one of these three categories, right? So my goal is for you to, A, put yourself in one of the categories, and then figure out, B, if that's the category you should be in, okay? So uh, that's where we are. So the first, uh, first thing he addresses is what he would call um, the, the, the idea of um, self-directed life, all right? So um, throw, up, uh, throw up the verse first, guys, um, okay? I'm going to throw up a couple of them, but whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed in the testimony God has given him about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We talked about this when we were going through the book of 1 John. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you have to make a choice about what you do with God. So I'm going to let this chair is going to represent the decisions of your life. Mind, will, heart, emotions, intellect, all of that. This is the decision-making process for your life. We're going to let Kermit represent you and me, all right? So this is us. This is going to be God over here because God doesn't have a spirit. God and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I had all kinds of characters that I thought I could use, and then it was like, no, nah, I just need a, I need, I need a towel. So uh, let the white towel represent God, all right? And if, the, if, if this was a little more accurate thing, this towel would be the size of the building and, and Kermit would be like this tall. But you get the idea. When you and I, when anybody has to make a decision about what they believe about God, they only have two choices. They make that decision within themselves and their knowledge of the world, or 
they make that decision outside of themselves. In other words, when you and I decide, when, when, when you and I decide what's going to rule our life, we only have two options. It's either going to be internal or it's going to be external. All right? So your, your decision making, the final, th- here's my issue to you. When you have to make a decision between right or wrong, how do you make it? In other words, was Hitler right or wrong? It depends on your worldview. It depends on your worldview. Because in Hitler's mind, he was right. He had convinced himself he was doing what was right. He had convinced himself of that. Um, why? Because, you see, you and I have to judge what is right, what is wrong. And you either source that morality within yourself or you source it outside of yourself in, we would say, the area of God. So you have to make a decision. What's going to be your final authority? The atheist says there is no God. He has become God. Because he says there is no God. He has ultimate knowledge that there is no God. The agnostic says maybe there's a God, maybe there's not, but I don't care. It's not going to control my life. So his morality is within himself. The hedon, hedonism says it's all about me. Hedonism says if, if, if I enjoy it, that's what I'm going to do. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's all about me. Truthfully, if you reject God, if you ultimately reject God, the only human philosophy that makes sense is hedonism, truthfully. If you believe genuinely that you just happened and that you crawled out of an amoeba and we evolved and de de here's the thing. How do you now find purpose and, and meaning to life? Because you were, you were just a happen chance. Well, 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 I don't believe like there's a God thing. Okay, great. So how do you find purpose and meaning in life? I mean, you just happened here. See, everybody looks at this issue of creation and goes, I don't think it's that big deal. No, it is a big deal. Here's why. If you just happened, evolved over time, then what's your purpose? I mean, really, what's your purpose? Because you could have just as easily not evolved. So man goes, oh, i got to make up a purpose. And if there's no God, you have to make something up within yourself. All right, so if you're going to make something up within yourself, why would you choose anything other than what you want? Hedonism. If it makes me happy, I do it. And if it don't make me happy, I don't do it. You go, well, you know, I believe that you can say, like, there's no God, but you should just treat other people nicely and, and try to improve the world. Why? Why would you do that? That makes no sense. I want the world to be a better place. Why? The world was all just a fluke anyway. Who cares? You were just an, a happy, okay, in glass work, when we have a mistake, when, we're make, when I make something in the kiln and it doesn't turn, kiln, kiln, they make funny because I keep saying killing, killing. Um, when I make something in the kiln and it doesn't turn out right, you know what, you know what glass artists call it? A happy mistake. A happy accident. If there is no God, you were just a happy accident. See, if, 
if you're going to reject God, understand that you have a philosophical dilemma now. Because you have to create morality within yourself and you can't do it. Whereas a Christian, what do we say? God is the source of all. So why do I do what I do? Because of God. God is my decider of morality. And God said what Hitler did was wrong. So Hitler was wrong. Why? Because my morality is not based within me. My morality is based in God. Everybody kind of make that connection? Because here's what, here's what they're going to argue. Here's ultimately what the issue is when it comes down to growth. There are only three types of people here. The first type of the person is, they say, they are, they, they are the, the self-directed life. Um, it's explained in, uh, what's my next verse here? First, uh, where are we? First Corinthians chapter 2. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish. A lot of people look at this and go, that's all foolishness. Creation is foolishness. God, that's a crutch. Faith, um, that's for people who aren't bright. They don't know what else to believe in, so they hang on to this thing called faith. He says, it's foolishness to them, and they can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. And he goes on, John 3. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. You saw me illustrate this at Easter with the chairs. All right? Here's, here's the way they would look at it as far as the self-directed life. In the self-directed life, who's sitting on the chair? You're right, Kermit. Um, who's sitting in the chair? We are. Where is God? On the outside. God, we don't bring God into our life at all. Why? That's foolishness. He says, first of all, there's the self-directed life. There's the life that says, you know what? I don't need God. I don't need Christianity. I don't need religion. I don't need any of that stuff. I am the one who's calling the shots, and I don't need God. That stuff is, that's, that's for people who don't get it. That's for people who aren't as smart as I am. Because that, that whole God thing, that's a crutch. That's, that's for people who are weak. That's for people who can't stand on their own. That's for people who need something. And their idea is they sit here. The, by the way, these are some really good people. These are some people who, in reality, they're, 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 they're better at Christian life stuff than you are, even though they're not Christians. They really are. They're great people. They're kind. They're generous to a fault. They're, they're wonderful. And there's some that are just boogers, man. I mean, I'm telling you, they are just meaner than a hornet and nasty and miserable to be around. And there's all different kinds. But see, they don't want anything to do with God. Um, he, uh, Campus Crusade illustrated it this way. Here's the chair that they have that, that shows it. Um, go to my second one there, guys. There we go. Self's on the throne. Christ is outside the life. They're interested or directed by self, all for resulting in discord and frustration. They do basically what they want. Them. Now, that's one type of person. Some of you in here this morning, that's where you are. You, you, the Christian thing, you've heard it, you understand it a little bit, but you really, you're not all in yet. You're like making reservations still. But you haven't rejected it, but yet, you don't, you, you really, it's not your thing yet, okay? That's not your thing. The second type of person is a person who Christ is at the center of their life. 
They have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Um, the Bible says it this way. Uh, jump to my verse, guys. Are we there? There we go. There we go. Wow. Okay. This is a type of person that's put their faith and trust in Christ. They're messing with me now. Uh, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Jump down a little bit further in, in chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your moral body so that you obey its evil desire. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of weakness. Rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. The believer has done something very, very different than this. The believer says, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I, as best as I know how, want to ask God to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life, so he comes into this world now, to be my Lord and Savior. On Easter, I illustrated salvation by saying what Jesus does is close you, in the, if you will, in the righteous... Oh, he gets all of you, not part of you. Um, close you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is illustration illustrative, of salvation, okay? To illustrate Christian growth, here's what we would do. We would say, Christ is now at the center of my decision-making, and I am here. Jesus is the one who makes the decisions for me. The Bible's the one. So if I want to know what kind of a spouse I should be, I go and see what the Bible says about what kind of spouse I should be. If I want to know how I should uh, be, a, be an employer or an employee, I go and I say, what does the Bible have to say? Okay, Christ, that's what I'm going to do. If I want to know how I should treat my neighbor, what does the Bible say? Christ determines what I do. Christ is on the throne here. And everything that I do is subject to what does the Bible say? Remember the old little bracelets we used to have? What would Jesus do? That's really what, that quite, that's really what happened. It's what would Jesus do? Then that's what I need to do. Jesus is the one. The Bible is the one who makes all my decisions for me. It's on the throne of my life. It's my main decision maker. We call this salvation. We call this Christian growth. We call this fellowship. This is how we live our life. So when we're struggling with something, we don't know if we should take that new job or not. What's God say? Well, God doesn't say in there, like, you should go to work for it. No, 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 no. No, but God can give you a whole bunch of principles on how to choose who you work for. And he does, by the way. Well, I don't know if we should go. Okay, let's get really personal. I don't know if we should go and buy that thing. The Bible has a lot to say about your finances. And the Bible has a lot to say about indebtedness. And the Bible has a lot to say about how you uh, handle some of those things. What does the Bible say? I'll tell you whether or not you ought to buy it. But I need it. What does the Bible say about what you need? Okay, you're really going to get upset with this, but having food and raiment, be content. Nobody's in here naked, and we got a bunch of food back there. We're all good. 
You got food, you got clothes. God said, then you know what? You better be happy. You got, you got everything you need. Well, you don't understand. I really, 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 really need that. No, I know. I've had that argument. I've had that argument. And I have been able to manipulate my wife into seeing it my way. And then I bought it, and then my wife went, see, I told you we shouldn't have bought that. Uh, I've been in that thing before. I did it once with a house, all right? So, you know, beat that. Um, Again, you see where I'm coming from here? I mean, this is, what does God say? And that's the way the Christian life should be. Here's what it looks like. They illustrate it this way um, on the chairs. A Christ-directed life has in it, and by the way, you'll notice some of these, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It's a life that's Christ-centered. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Introduce other Christ. Prayer. Understands God's word. Trust God. Obey words. Obedience. It, it, it says, okay, if I have a question, I say, what does God say? And then that's what I do. It's not, what does God say? And then, okay, I'm going to think about it. It's not, okay, what does God say? Okay, maybe, because if, it, let me show you something. If, if you're going, what does God say? And then I'm going to think about it then this is what you're doing. This isn't the Christ-directed life. This is the Christ-gives-me-advice life. And to really be what God intended us to be, we live it this way, with Christ on the throne making the calls. Get it? Okay, now... So there's one that Christ is the outside. That's the self-directed life. There's the Christ-directed life. And then there's some debate on this third one, okay? And there are some people who teach there is no third one. As you know, it's either one or the other. But I think Scripture teaches there's a third one, all right? And I think Scripture teaches that it is possible for a Christian to say, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm going to bring Christ to my life. But I'm going to decide here and i would suggest that this is where most of us live during the week is that we take god off the throne we put ourselves on the throne and we're the one who calls the shots and then we wonder why it's such a big mess i think scripture talks about this in the old days if you came from an old old conservative christian kind of background we they called this backsliding um there are some today that teach that it is impossible to live this way. And if you're living this way, you're really lost. Now, I don't believe that. I believe that Scripture teaches that there, it is possible for a believer to be doing this. Because I know I have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I know that within the past week I've done this. And yet I don't question my salvation. Okay, um, Let me show you the passage that I think teaches this. It's in 1 Corinthians. You have to understand Corinthians was one messed up church. Okay? They had so many problems that you could, it wasn't even funny. And Paul writes to the people in Corinth because here's one of the problems they had. They would have visiting pastors come in, and everybody would go, well, you know, I really like Paul because like, he's my favorite, and I think we ought to invite him next. No, no, I think we ought to invite Apollos because he accused my favorite. And, and, and you know, and then, oh, no, 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 we ought to invite Cephas because Cephas is like my guy. And they would literally would fight among themselves on this. And so Paul writes to him, and here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, I do not address you as people who live by the Spirit. So what, what Paul's saying is, I don't address you as people who are living like this. He said, instead, I address you, but as people who are still worldly. 
mere infants in Christ. So it's not worldly as Christ is on the outside. He says that you're in Christ, but you're an infant. Look, there's nothing wrong with being a baby when you're one, not when you're 40. Not when you're 40, you know. Uh, why? Because, so Paul's not saying there's anything wrong with being a child or being an infant. There is something wrong with it when it's gone a long period of time you haven't grown. And here's what he goes on to say. Still, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are you not worldly? So that's what, that's what everybody does without Christ. Why are you doing that? Why are you fighting among yourselves on who ought to preach to you? I mean, how silly is that, guys? And he goes on. For when one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paul, are you not just mere human beings? Haven't you forgotten this? So Paul argues that it is possible for a believer to be in Christ but to live like this. Uh, here's what it looks like in the chart thing. Uh, it's self-directed. People who are legalistic, you go, what? What do you mean? I thought they were like defenders of the truth. And No, no, no. You know what legalism is? Legalism, you become the judge. Not God. You start becoming the judge. Uh, people... Impure thoughts, jealousy, guilt, worry. What, what happens when we worry? Who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? And you know what we spend all of our time? What happens when you worry? Tell me the process. What happens when you worry? What do you try to do when you worry? You try to control and figure it all out, don't you? So who's on the throne? And, and that's, that, that's, what, that's what he's saying. It's so easy for us to live like this. He goes on. Discouragement. Think about it for a minute. We're under discouraged and you're all bent out of shape and, 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 and you're getting depressed and everything else. Here, here's something to think about. Why is that happening? Because you see, here's a question for you. If I'm living like this, with God on the throne... Is it possible to be discouraged? Why? Are you ready for this? Is it possible to worry? Paul said, you know what? Hey, I'm ready to be died. Time of my offerings at hand. Whether I live or die, it's good. It's in the hands of the Lord. I'm good. Why? Because Paul wasn't on the throne. Paul wasn't calling the shots. His confidence and trust was God. That's why Paul can write in Philippians, look, don't worry. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. Let it be God's problem, not yours. It goes on. Frustration, aimlessness, fear. Fear? Look, question. Can a person who's living like this live in fear? No. Why? Because they realize whatever happens is of God, and I'm okay. It's God's deal going on. Unbelief, disobedience. Notice that loss of love for God or others. This person, this kind of person, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temper. That, that's how this person's living. This person? 
Complete opposite. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at the works of the flesh. That's what this person deals with all the time. And so I would argue that there's one of three types of people in this room this morning. Some of you, Christ is on the outside. You're, 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 you, don't, you don't know what you want to do with that Christianity thing. My challenge to you would be to put your faith and trust in Christ. Some of you, you have put your faith and trust in Christ. And yes, Christ is inside your world, but the reality of it is, most of your week was lived like this. And that's not how God intended us to live our lives in Christ. He intended us to live it like this, and this is how He wants us to live it. With our focus today and tomorrow and next week, and the Rasta on, okay, God, it's your deal. It's not my deal. So, one overriding thought, question, summary, whatever you want to call it this morning is this. Which one of those is you? Which one of those is you? Um, because we're all in one of those categories. And my struggle every week, my struggle every day, is to make sure I live in such a way that Christ is on the throne. And I struggle just like you do. But it's my prayer that we can all do better at this. And to spend more time focused on what God wants for us. For some of you, Christ is outside of it. Yeah, really, I beg you to put your faith and trust in Christ. For those of you that have, I get the struggle. I live the struggle too. Um, okay, I've debated about saying this because I know I'm going to get flack for it. But I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, just because I think it illustrates my point. If I can illustrate my point, you can remember it. Even if you've got to remember it because you get mad at me, at least you'll remember it. So here we go. Uh, if you know me, I'm not a country music person. Okay? I'm not a, I do not like country music. I've never liked country music. I will never, ever like country music. Okay? And God, in his unique sense of humor, put a radio tower beside my house that's a country music thing that overpowers any other radio station I can get at my house. Um, in fact, my radio this morning was set to a country music station. You know why? Because I hate it so much that I will actually wake up early so that it doesn't go off to wake me up. So I got up 30 minutes early today before my alarm was set because if it goes off, it's going to play country music, and then it ticks me off for the whole day. So it works for me, Okay. My wife, on the other hand, God, in his unique sense of humor, put me with a woman who loves country music. So every time I get in her car, it's a cuss my wife, pray, and then change the station. Um, oh, no, she's got that music on. It's not that bad, but, I mean, it, it is, okay? Um, and so, I, again, and some of you, you're like country music people. God bless you. You give us variety in life. Um, it's just not me, okay? And, and, and so, you know, so it's like, you know, hey, Pastor, there's this like, really cool country music song on. Will you listen to it? <laughs> God doesn't like me. Um, but when I saved Duggan as an example, next week, next week, if I brought Chicago in here and played You're My Inspiration for the, for the morning service, I'd think I'd died and gone to heaven. You know, it couldn't get any better than that for me, okay? That's just me. All right, that's just me. It's just a personality thing. But anyway, um, I, however, there are country music songs that I am aware of. Uh, and, and, and one of them is Jesus Take the Wheel. Everybody know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, okay I, I had to look up the words. 
Um, Huh? I don't know. Don't care. Um, Okay, here's the chorus. Here's the chorus. And some of you I know, you're really blessed by this song. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad. And somebody comes up here one Sunday and plays it. Yay, great, okay. Yay, but that's not my thing, all right? Here's the way it chorus. Ooh, Jesus, take the wheel. Ooh, I'm letting go. Give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on, from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. Ooh, take it, take it from me. Ooh, ooh, wah, ah, ooh, ooh, ooh. All right. I told you I'd make you mad. Um, some of you are going, I have never heard that song in my life slaughtered that badly. I know, I've listened to the song, I like the song, okay, I can, I can tolerate the song, I, get the, I, love, I like the words to the song, I like the message of the song, I get it, okay, all right, I, I, I had to do that though, because I, I don't get my jab very often, but I got to take it when I can get it, so anyway, uh, but anyway, okay, here's the thing, I, I like the song, I like the message of the song, I know what the song's saying, but I have a huge theological problem with the song, and here's why, why? does Jesus have to take the wheel? No, 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 follow me now. If we're living like this, Jesus has the wheel. We are the passenger. He is the driver. The only reason Jesus has to take the wheel is because we're living like this. I'm thrilled that in the song, this person realizes this and says, I've made a mistake. I'm in over my head. Jesus, take the wheel. Great message. But here's a problem. If Jesus had the wheel all along, Jesus wouldn't have to take the wheel back. And that's my challenge for us. My challenge is that this week, as we look at our lives, and look, you get into trouble, yes, Jesus, take the wheel. But it's much better to live not Jesus, take the wheel, but to get up tomorrow and go, Jesus, thank you, you've got the wheel all day. That's the way he really wants us to live. That's the way he intends for us to live. And if somebody, now don't do it just to spite me, but if somebody ever does that for special music, I can be blessed by it, okay? They don't don't have to get all bent out of shape about it, but I mean, understand it. Yeah, some of you are going, I'm going to do that. That's okay. Hey, if that'll be special music, great. We need more special music. So anyway, um, you know, uh, but I mean, you guys get where I'm coming from here? You're going to make a decision all day today, all this week, about who's in control, about who's calling the shots. As a believer, Jesus died. Jesus gives us life eternal so that we can live this way. Because you see, when we live this way, this is the best possible things for us all day long. When he's driving and we're not. My challenge for you this week is to figure out, okay, what have you? What, what is it that you're driving? What is it that you've got the wheel on that you need to give back to God and say, all right, Lord, you know what? I'm not going to sweat this like I've been sweating it. I'm not going to get bent out of shape over this like I've been getting bent out of shape over it. I'm not going to spend every night worried to death about this. I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to let you take control. I'm going to let you, I'm going to do whatever you say I will do. So my prayer this week is the desire of God that you trust him for the best way to live life. As a believer, please understand that God desires the best for your life this week. But in order to experience the best, you're going to have to let him have the control. And you're going to have to take your hands off. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. Thanks for the time. Lord, thanks that we can have fun. But yet at the same time, Lord, we can deal with, with, with serious truths that affect how we go throughout this week. So, Lord, on the things that we have taken control of, would you help us to really put our faith and trust in you to turn them over to you? Help us to be obedient. Help us to be sensitive to the things that you impress upon our heart. And, Lord, this week, as we go through life, may we genuinely be the passengers in our relationship with you. And, uh, Lord, may we see you guide and direct and drive us to the places, to the things, to the people that you want us to be a part of this week. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen.